take your Bibles and turn in them to the book of Acts. And we are uh, just spending some time in the book of Acts. We, we were in it uh, about two summers ago, and we've just uh, uh, took a break, and we're doing some other things. And now we're coming back to spend a little bit more time in Acts. I'm, I'm looking forward to, uh, uh, to what God has in store for us as we uh, consider how Christ continues to work in his church. And uh, last week we started looking at um, Acts 10 and 11. And we looked at it through the eyes of Cornelius. And so this morning, we're going to look at Acts chapter 10 11 through the eyes of Peter and through the life of Peter. I'd like us to stand as we read the word of the Lord this morning. I want to read from uh, verse 9 to verse 29 of uh, chapter 10. So stand with me as we read the word of God together this morning. And uh, then we will commit our time in worship in the word to him. Hear the word of the Lord today. The next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. And he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens opened, and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time. What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. Now, while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that he had seen might mean, behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate and called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. And Peter went down, and the men said to him, I, or, and he said to the men, I am the one you are looking for. What is the reason you are coming? They said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man, who is well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel sent, uh, to send for you to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. So he invited them to be his guests. The next day he rose and went away with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. And on the following day they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and called together his relatives and close friends. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up, I too am a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many persons gathered. And he said to them, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked then why you sent for me. Father, we come before you this morning and uh, we do ask that you would help us. Um, It is amazing at all that you would have come down to our level and communicated with us in ways that we understand, but we understand that when communication comes from such a mighty, powerful God who has created this heaven and this earth, there are times that we're going to misunderstand it. There's times that we're not going to get it. Added to that is the sinfulness of our own hearts and the proclivities of our 
own minds and the resistance of our own will to this divine word, and we have a hard time making sense of it sometimes. But Father, your word is a gift. It's a gift that demonstrates to us the way of life. It's a gift that teaches us about your will for us. It's a gift that demonstrates to us the the way that you would have us live that is best suited for us. And so this, uh, this morning, we submit ourselves to this word. We submit ourselves to its authority. We submit ourselves to its author. We submit ourselves to its composer. We submit ourselves to the center of the word, Jesus Christ. And we say, teach us, help us, correct us, warn us, encourage us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I was uh, sitting between two services this morning and I thought I would like to change the title of the sermon to When God Rocks Your World. I know that's maybe more suited for Thirsty, but nonetheless, I still think it's important for us to hear that sometimes. God rocks our worlds. And often He rocks our worlds in the middle of some event of great magnitude. And I was thinking of this just in light of uh, various um, uh, uh, issues that flooded into my mind as I was writing this. Some of you may remember the Tank Man. The Tank Man at Tiananmen Square. Uh, not so many years ago as the Chinese uh, government was coming in to suppress the uprising that it was taking place in Tiananmen Square. And this one lone man stood before the tank. And God rocked his world and exposed us to a revolution that was taking place within China. I was also thinking about the event of that little girl in 1972 who made it to the cover, I believe, of Time magazine, Fan T. Kim Fook, who was that Vietnamese girl who was naked and burned by napalm, and as she was running down the street, and that event which rocked her world also was the turning point in the attitudes of the Americans towards the war in Vietnam. By the way, that girl lives in Canada now, is married, and is a follower of Jesus Christ. I also was reflecting on that in more recent events in Colorado as the Fires were spreading their way through parts of that state and consuming hundreds of homes. And in the midst of that, you saw these human response stories of the media who would go and speak to um, uh, individuals who, in the midst of this massive catastrophe, gave a human side to what their loss was. As they spoke of animals or possessions or homes that were nothing but ashes behind them. When God rocks your world. I was thinking of this in light of this particular story, that God is doing this massive kingdom seismic shift amongst Jews and Gentiles. And in the midst of that shift, which could be very heady if we didn't have the human side of it, he exposes us to two men whose worlds he is rocking. One of them we looked at last week, who was Cornelius, a man who was searching after God but had not yet found him. And God opened the door of his heart to see the light of the glory of Christ. And his world was rocked by Christ. And he found forgiveness of sins and entrance into the kingdom of God. This morning, we look at the man Peter, whose world was also rocked by God, but in a way that transformed his heart from racial prejudice and tension towards one of growing acceptance for people to this point he had hated. As we think about this, our focus is on Peter. He too was seeking God like Cornelius was. 
uh, and he too was being sought by God like Cornelius was. Last week, we witnessed how God worked in Cornelius' life to bring him into the kingdom of God. In this particular story, we witness God bringing the heart of a man into conformity with the will and purposes of the kingdom of God. Last week, we saw the saving work of God taking hold of the man Cornelius as he moved him from darkness to light, as he moved him from being lost to being found, as he moved him from not experiencing the love of God to being able to sing as we sung this morning, how marvelous, how wonderful is my Savior's love for me. To now looking at Peter, in whom we see the sanctifying work of God. And by sanctification, it's a biblical word, we mean the way that God works with us to change us into the image of God. Because when we become Christians, we come with baggage. We come with attitudes. We come with behaviors. We come with with prejudices. We come with sins. And that over time, God transforms us. He works in our lives to more and more reflect Him. And so that's what we mean by the sanctifying work of God. And so in this particular story in Peter, we see the sanctifying work of God. Last week, our challenge was for those of you who have not found Christ as your Savior, to consider Him as your Lord and Savior. This week, we are asking those of you who know Christ, but are not yet wanting to submit to Him in every way, to reevaluate that and say, I will submit to Christ. At the heart of this issue that we see taking place here is this desire that God work in a way um, such that there be one big human family. And it had always been God's intention for there to be one people of every nation, tribe, and tongue that would come together into one family and get along together and come under one Father, God, our Father. But along the way, that, was, uh, that promise was thwarted or attempted to be thwarted. And there was all kinds of barriers that were set up so that hopefully, uh, by the evil one and by our own sinfulness, that hopefully that promise of God would come to naught and that God would prove, be proved to be a liar. That one promise of God to have a single people under one father was under constant attack. And barriers and fences and walls have been erected where there should have been well-worn paths to relationships with people of all colors and of all languages, and of all nations. And I think even beginning with the Tower of Babel, we begin to see racial tensions explode on the face of this earth. I was thinking this past week, and this is only my musings, um, and they're not the musings of an expert by any means on racial tension. They're more, and I say this so carefully, a reflection of my own heart. But I was reflecting on where does pride and prejudice and racial tension come from? Well, I think it comes in the first place, at least as I consider it, from pride. Uh, Look at me. Look at what I've accomplished. Look at what I own. Look at what I wear. Look at where I live. I'm so much better than you. And so pride creates prejudice and racial tension. What about ignorance? We don't know anything about other peoples from other cultures. We look at the food they eat. We look at the traditions they hold. We look at the clothes that they wear. We look at the family practices that they embrace. And we say to ourselves, my, those are primitive. Or my, those are heathen. 
or my, those are so much unlike mine. And so out of ignorance rises prejudice and racial tension. What about insecurity? We look at people around us and we're threatened by them. We're threatened by their success. We're threatened by their knowledge. We're threatened by their understanding. We're threatened by the things that they do well. We're threatened by their power. We're threatened by their position. And so rather than learn from them and embrace them, we erect barriers and walls to keep them away from us. What about religion? How much of our religion is really the basis for prejudice and racism? As we create these walls and these barriers that divide us from people of other tribes and other nations and other tongues. What about tradition? How do our traditions get in the way of relations with people from all different races? I was thinking of this even as we were reflecting on the passages here, right out of Scripture, that there was this deep-seated abhorrence of the Gentiles by the Jews. The attack on the promises of God to have one family is captured by Peter. And he says to the people there, he says, You are well aware that it is against our law for the Jew to associate with a Gentile or visit him. That's not God's law. That was their own law, an own barrier that they had, a tradition that they had erected that said, We will not even associate with you Gentiles. And then a little bit later, the Jews in and Jerusalem said, you went into the house of the uncircumcised and you ate with them? Our own traditions create barriers that result in prejudice and racial tension. And there's hatred, pure and simple. We just don't like other people. There's no reason for it. There's no basis in it except for our own sinfulness. And all these other things pile up to the point where we just dislike other people. And then I think finally there is the very real reality, and it's a theological reality, that every single human being ever created is made in the image of God. I heard somewhere, and you know, I I don't want to get off track, but I heard somewhere that there is a great difference in the American view of slavery and the Brazilian view of slavery, slavery, For that one issue. In Brazil, they continue to understand those that serve them as made in the image of God. In the States, they lost sight of the fact that those that were serving them were made in the image of God. I believe so much of our racial tension and our prejudice comes from the fact that we see other people as not being in the image of God. So these are just some of the things that I think work in us and around us and through us to create barriers between us and people of other tribes or nations or cultures or even segments within our own societies. And so how does God break these things down? How is God at work in the lives of individuals shattering those barriers? As I said, there is this massive shift that, 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 that is necessary for the kingdom of God to move forward. Christ is in heaven and he is, he is at, still at work in the world. And one of the things that he wants to do finally is he wants to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. But that can't be accomplished until we will go to the ends of the earth and see people at the far end of the earth as people just like us. 
in the image of God and in need of a Savior. And so I was just thinking of that in light of Peter. What were some of the experiences that were shaping Peter? What were some of the things that were going on in Peter's life? Because I I often don't think that God just, wham, and all of a sudden he tries to change us. I think God works in our life, uh, works in our life, and then all of a sudden there's a catalyst that happens and there's significant change that takes place. Uh, And so I think God is doing those sorts of things um, in our life. And he was doing that with Peter. Peter had ended up in Joppa. He was there for a little bit of uh, rest and relaxation. I think sometimes ministers even need some time away. They need a time of break. They need a time of refreshment. And so here's Peter in the, in the city of Joppa. He's doing a little bit of ministry, but I think he's just hanging out with a, with a buddy named Simon and, and catching up on some rest and relaxation. But I think God had been doing a lot of things in, our, in his head. One of the things that I think must have been going on in Peter's mind was this growing confusion that all that he held true about the division between Jews and Gentiles, clean and unclean, was starting to be eroded. And he was, as I say, experiencing confusion. Part of this, I think, goes back to an event that maybe happened a couple years earlier when, when he had been with the other disciples in Jesus. And Jesus was always pushing the leaders of the Jews. Uh, in one instance, he was eating without washing his hands. Now, we do that with hygiene, um, but they did that because of religious purposes. And, and so Jesus would, he, he would grab some food and he would eat it without washing his hands. And for these people, that, was, that just freaked them out. He was going into the marketplaces where Gentiles were. They couldn't handle that. He was going into the homes of, of, of publicans and sinners, and they were just shocked by, by how someone who would claim to be in the Messiah would ever go into a Gentile home. And he was touching lepers. He was touching the sick. That is so foreign to what they ever believed or what they could ever handle. And and then as as this sort of was reaching its climax, on one occasion, Jesus is confronted and he calls this crowd around him and he begins to, to talk to them. And he says to them, he says, listen to me, all of you, and understand. This is from Mark 7. You can also find it in Mark 15. Jesus says to them, as they're just jawing at him and saying, look, you're touching that and you're touching that and you're eating here and you're going there. He says, there is nothing outside of a man that can defile him if it goes into him. There's a huge lesson there. Holiness is not a matter of external things. You don't become unholy by touching somebody else. You don't become unholy by having lunch with somebody who doesn't know Christ. Holiness is not external. Holiness is a matter of the heart and it's internal. There is nothing outside the man that can defile him if it goes into him. But the things which proceed out of the man are what defile him. When, he had en- when the crowd had left, he entered the house and his disciples questioned him about that parable. He said to them, I love this. Are you so lacking understanding also? Do you not understand that whatever goes into a man from the outside cannot defile him? Because it does not go into his heart, but into his stomach, and it's eliminated. And then this amazing parenthetical phrase, which Mark includes, Thus he declared all foods clean. And he was saying, then, that which proceeds out of a man, that is what defiles him. It's not what you eat, it's not what you touch, but it's what's inside of you that defiles you. 
He says, for out of the heart of men proceed evil thoughts, fornications, thefts, murders, adulteries, deeds of coveting and wickedness, as well as deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things proceed from within and defile the man. Beloved, holiness is a matter of the heart. It's not a matter of what you eat, what you drink, who you talk to, and where you go. And so Peter is wrestling with this. I'm sure this was just confusing him. Because all his life he had been raised with, don't touch this, don't eat that, don't go there. And now Jesus is just doing the exact opposite. And he's also saying it doesn't matter what you eat. God is working in Peter's heart. The second thing I think that's going on in Peter's heart, and there could be way more, is you might have caught this. Who's he staying with in Joppa? Simon the Tanner. See a problem with that? Unclean. Simon the Tanner worked with dead things. And as soon as you touch something dead, you are unclean for the rest of the day. Everything you touch becomes unclean. Everywhere you sit becomes unclean. Every object that you come in contact with becomes unclean. So what in the world is happening with Peter? You know, the guy's probably just got that. I see something. Well, I, I know some people who walk around with that antiseptic stuff all the time. And like every five minutes, squirt, squirt, squirt. And you're just like having a bath in this stuff. I think if they had that back in those days, Peter would have just been a wash, an antiseptic wash. But here he is, staying in the house of Simon the Tanner. What is going on? Is Peter wrestling with that? Was he deliberately contradicting what he knew to be right? Or was he just caught up in this state of confusion? So here are two things, and I'm sure there were more, that are taking place in Peter's life. And he had witnessed so many people come to faith in in Acts. um, and, And so there was this contact now happening with Gentiles. And then the catalyst. This is when God does a work in his life. And it's the vision that we read from Acts chapter 10. It's now God bringing all of these things to bear in a moment in time. And it was about noon. 21 hours after God had visited Cornelius with a vision. Peter was up on the rooftop. He was praying. And he saw this vision. And in this vision, God unmistakably spoke to him. As this sheet was lowered. And and if you were to go and read Leviticus chapter 11, uh, you would see all the things that Peter describes being described in Leviticus chapter 11 as those things that were unclean, those things that you ought not touch, those things that you ought not eat. But not for the reasons that the Jewish people were not eating them and touching them. And so this sheet is lowered down from heaven. Three times the sheet is lowered down from heaven. All these unclean things. And God says to him, I'm sure three times, Peter, get up, kill, and eat. Peter, Get up, kill, and eat. Peter, get up, kill, and eat. It's God's way of reminding him what Jesus had said, I have declared all foods unclean. And it's also, by extension, God's way of saying, not only is there no unclean food, but there are no unclean people. Peter makes that connection. That there are no unclean people. And so God is bringing all of this to bear now on his man, Peter, 
in the midst of this seismic shift that is taking place to change his attitude towards the Jewish people. This vision must have been so confusing for him. And in fact, the scripture tells us that in verse 17, Peter was confused. He was greatly perplexed in mind. He was baffled by this vision. It seemed to cast aside every tradition that he had held true. It seemed to cast aside everything his parents had taught him. It seemed to cast aside everything that he had taught other people about the Gentiles. I'm sure he must have thought, surely God doesn't want me to eat this stuff. Surely God doesn't want me to talk to these people. But at the very moment that he was thinking about this and he was confused about this, and beloved, this is the beauty of God, there's a knock on his door. And it's these three Gentiles being sent by God through Cornelius to find Peter. And as the door is knocked on, the Holy Spirit says to Peter, these three men are coming, go with them. I can't imagine what was going on in Peter's heart at that particular point. But what I appreciate is his immediate obedience to what God was saying to him. He immediately went with them, the scripture says. He immediately said, yes, I will go with you. But before they leave, and it must be at night, Peter does something also that was strange. He invites these three Gentiles to stay in the same home as him. That also is one of the taboos that they were not even to share the same house. And so God is breaking down these barriers of prejudice and racism towards the Gentile people. So God is working in Peter's life. But, but, you know, I might ask Peter, and I might say to this Peter, because I wrestle with obedience sometimes. I wrestle with immediate obedience. I wrestle with submission to God. And so here we have Peter, and I'd like to say with Peter, how did you obey such a radical word? How did you just say, okay, God, I'll go with them? That must have been significant. I think there's a number of things maybe that were going on. One is God was speaking to him, and he knew it. He was in a time of prayer. He had learned to discern the voice of the Holy Spirit. It wasn't like his hunger pains rumbling in his stomach. It wasn't like he was distracted. Um, He was in prayer, and he heard the voice of the Spirit of God say, Peter, go with them. How important it is that we be in tune with the Spirit of God. I think the second thing maybe that was going on, and, and as Peter was working towards these people, is he now had a day and a half to walk with these three Gentiles. I don't think he had ever done that in his life. And here he was now walking from Joppa to Caesarea with three men who up until that day he wouldn't have even ate with, let alone have a conversation with. And so this step of obedience, as he obeyed God, God was starting to shift his heart and to change his his viewpoint of these people. He got there and there was this great gathering of family and friends. And what a joy it must have been. I I wonder if Peter was expecting hostility. I wonder if maybe he thought he'd come into the room and they would say, You Jews, you've always kept us at at arm's length. You know, you'd never talk to us. You'd never eat with us. And now you're here? He didn't get that. He got warmth. He got acceptance. He received embrace by these people. He entered their home, which was also against tradition and custom. And then he shares the gospel with them. We went over that last week. It's just important for us to be reminded of it. 
It's a beautiful summary of the gospel of Jesus Christ, how the gospel is, 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 is how do I put it? It's in the environment. It's the context of peace. It's a wonderful thing that God gives us who are at enmity with him, peace with him. And so Peter shares peace that is available through Christ. He talks to them about the man, Jesus from Nazareth. He talks to them about his death and his resurrection. That, loved ones, is the gospel. In a nutshell, that Jesus Christ is the judge of the living and the dead. How do we avoid that judgment? We avoid that judgment when he says, everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Even there, there is a, there is a mark of obedience because now Peter is saying everyone, not just Jews, not just those who conform to the Jewish way of thinking, but everyone who believes in him receives the forgiveness of sins through his name. As Peter is making these steps of obedience, it's one step at a time. It's one step at a time. When all this has taken place and there's this a huge response to uh, the, the gospel and these uh, Gentiles become followers of Christ, I think Peter knew what was coming. He had to give an account of himself. Because here is a man now who was going contrary to what his whole nation believed. We read that in Acts chapter 11, verses 1 to 18, and and we won't read it all, but certainly in the verse 1, now the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea, you see how word spreads? Did you hear what Peter did? Did you hear where Peter went? Did you hear who Peter ate with? Did you see who Peter was walking with from Joppa to Caesarea? It's like the word just went boom. And I like to think that if they had had a Jerusalem Times in those days, the headline in the Times would have read front page, Peter, the apostle, embraces Gentile dogs. And you say, well, how do you get that harshness? Well, look at the very next verse in verse 3. The party criticized him, saying, you went to uncircumcised men and you ate with them. Can you hear the prejudice in there? Can you hear the racial tension in there? And so those next verses describe the the divine hammer blows, as John Stott calls them, of the way that God, in one step after another step after another step after another step, opens the door of the gospel for these Gentiles and softens Peter's prejudicial heart. And the end of it is in verse 15. Where Peter recalls finally, he says, as he began to speak to them, the Holy Spirit fell on them just as he did us. I like that. No distinction. No partiality. No difference. Just as the Holy Spirit fell on us, he fell on them. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? When they heard this, I love this. When they heard this, they fell silent. And they glorified God, saying, then to the Gentiles also, God has granted repentance that leads to life. No barriers. No partiality with God. Repentance across the board that leads to life. Peter gave an account for himself, and at that point, the brothers in Judea and Jerusalem received the word of the Lord. At this point, we might say, wow, 
That's pretty amazing. God has done this huge work in Peter's life. But how many of us have to learn the same lesson a second, a third, a fourth, a fifth time? And there's a real sad story in the book of Galatians which reminds us how deep-rooted this racial tension and prejudice was and how deep-rooted it was even in Peter's life. In Galatians, if you want to turn there, I'll read it. Galatians chapter 2, verses 11 to uh, 14. This is only a few months after this time in Antioch, which we're going to get at in a few weeks. Listen to this account. I like it, but I don't like it. I like it because it reminds me of what I'm like. I like it because I don't get it. Or I don't like it because I don't get it. I got that mixed up, didn't I? Anyhow, here, listen to the word of the Lord. But when Peter, or, or when Cephas came to Antioch, that's Peter, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. In other words, Peter got it. He was having wonderful fellowship. He was in their homes. He was eating meals with them. They were, they were experiencing this great sense of family. But when they came, certain men from James, but when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. Wow. You know what? I think as adults, we are just as susceptible to peer pressure as our teenagers. Often it's more subtle. Often the price is greater. But we are still susceptible to peer pressure. And so as this delegation from Jerusalem came and they started jawing at Peter, he caved and he withdrew from table fellowship. And what is so terrifying about this, verse 13, and the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. Dear ones, I have said this before and I will say it again. We never sin in isolation. There is no such thing as a private sin. There is no such thing as a sin that nobody sees and nobody is impacted by. Every sin that we commit has ripple effects. Whether it's with our brothers or sisters, our mothers or fathers, our spouses, our, our workmates, or even to this point to the church of God. And here in, in Peter's sin... The rest of the Jews acted hypocrisy, or hypocritically. And even Barnabas was led astray by their sinfulness. Dear ones, we need to take seriously our sin. Because our sin can lead others astray. And so in light of this, we then go on and read. But when I saw that their conduct, and I love this too. When I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel. One day I'll preach a sermon or we'll, we'll chat about what it means to judge. Because there's so much confusion in Christian circles about judging. Um, we are to judge according to the scriptures, beloved. And he says, when I saw their conduct was not in line with the truth of the gospel. I confronted him. Loved ones, I want people to confront me when my life is not in keeping with the truth of the gospel. 
And I believe as elders here in the church, we take that responsibility seriously as well. That we will confront you when your life is not in keeping with the truth of the gospel. How else will the process of sanctification be worked out in our life? How else will the purity of the church be maintained and guarded? How else will we protect the flock that God has entrusted to us? Unless we call people into line with the truth of the gospel. And so we see here Peter opposing Peter, or Paul opposing Peter, and he stands condemned because of his actions. Oh, loved ones, how important it is that we guard our hearts. How important it is that we continue to submit to God. And when we have achieved a great victory, not to stand in there with any pride and not to stand there and think, I've figured it all out. I dare say there's not a person here who hasn't sinned, asked for forgiveness, being forgiven, and committed that same sin again the next week. We need to always be vigilant. We need to always be submissive. We need to be walking in step with the Spirit of God so that we make progress in sanctification. This is Peter's journey. It's a human story of what it looks like to be caught up in this massive shift of the gospel being taken to the ends of the earth. What is God up to in your life? What is God needing to change in you? What what is God needing to tweak in your heart, maybe towards your neighbor or towards a family member or towards a person who runs the corner store or towards uh, a people from another trade or a tribe or another nation or from people who have tattoos over, all over their body or people who have piercings all over their body and we have disdain or dislike towards them because of how they look or what the color of their skin is or how they talk. Loved ones, if the kingdom of God is ever going to go to the ends of the earth, we need to have our prejudices and our racist thoughts destroyed by God. I think in part it takes place to a couple of ways. When God rocks your world, he often does it, and I love this, as we are in prayer. I think we forget how important prayer is in our daily lives. Cornelius was spoken to by God when? When he was praying. Peter was spoken to by God when? When he was praying. I think some of the reason we get into so much trouble is because we think we hear God all over the place, but we never hear him because we're never in prayer. We never hear him truthfully because we're not in prayer. Loved ones, that is where you will learn to discern the voice of God is when you are in prayer. May God drive us to our knees more often. I think the second thing that we think of when God rocks our world is to be ready to obey. I love this, and I hate this. You know, we, we, we love to be in control of our worlds and in control of our lives. And obedience is something that demands authority. Obedience is something that demands trust. And unless we know all the facts, unless we know all the steps, we are very hesitant to obey. You tell me why, you tell me what's going to come on, and then I'll obey. Beloved, I am learning again and again and again that often obedience comes even though I don't have complete understanding. And I like this about Cornelius. I like this about Peter. God just said, go. And he went. 
I think we need to be people who are much quicker to obey and much more reluctant to argue. Trust and obey. For there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. If God is at work in your life in a certain area and you know he's calling you to something, obey. And then finally, when all of that takes place, and I I think this is biblical because I see it in this passage, stand back and witness the power of God. God does in Cornelius' life what no man could ever do. He takes his dead heart and he gives it life. God does in Peter's heart what none of us is able to do on our side and ourselves. He takes our sin and our prejudice and our pride and our racist thoughts and he turns them on their head so that now we look at people who before we couldn't look at, now we look at them with love. Now we look at them with compassion. Now we look at them as equals. Now we look at them as friends. Beloved, that is the power of God. God can do in our hearts and in our community things that we never thought possible. Why? Because He is God. So when God rocks your world, submit. Go with where He's leading and stand back and see His mighty power at work.